job, guys. And it's uh, so good having JC on the platform, doing some cool stuff on the guitar for us. Well, welcome, everybody. So glad to have you here this morning here at River Hills. Uh, you've been with us in the reading. We've been talking about the church, the birth of the church. And, and uh, a while back, we had the story of the, the death of Christ and then the resurrection. And then we followed that up with Pentecost, which was the birth of the church. And so now, after the birth of the church, we're experiencing really fantastic growth. In fact, uh, some commentators said that the church grew as much as 40% every year for the next 400 years. 40% growth. In fact, at the end of the 400 years, what happens is, is that Rome becomes a Christian nation. Rome becomes a Christian nation from the explosive growth of the church. But of course, whenever something new starts, it doesn't always go well. Something new happens. There's always something uh, kind of stirring the pot. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today is, is three stories of conflict that we have in the Bible. Now, I, I am not a, a conflict guy. I'm, a, I'm Irish. I'm, I'm into a little confrontation. I can get in your face. I'm pretty good at that. But, I, but it does uh, hurt me. In fact, when I had conflict uh, with my kids at home, um, I would go and I would throw up. I would, I would be so emotionally traumatized by having to have conflict. Um, it did not go well for me. I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy that likes conflict. And when I read about conflict in the Bible, it actually stirs me the same way. You know, when we hear about conflict in the church, we have a choice as to how are we going to process that? How are we going to deal with conflict? And I want to get it right, don't you? Don't you want to get it right? Don't you want to handle it the way God wants us to handle it? So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let me, um, let, let's ask God in to this right now. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you. We, we adore you, Lord. You are so good, and you, you take such good care of us, and, and you have a plan for conflict. You have a way for us to address this that doesn't leave us in a shambles, and we want that way. We want to hear from you. We ask you to open our heart, open our minds, transform us by the renewing of our minds in Christ Jesus. Make us more like Jesus as we respond to conflict in our world. Amen. Well, I've, I have picked three of the most kind of outrageously conflictual stories from our readings. We had 15 chapters. Uh, obviously, I can't teach on all 15 chapters, uh, but um, I'm, I picked three stories of conflict uh, from those chapters. And so he, the first one is really a hard story. And this is the story of Ananias and his wife, Sapphira. And some, uh, some grade school person uh, was kind enough to draw a little picture of the story for us, kind of sums it up. Ananias and Sapphira, it says in the writing, Ananias, did you lie and keep back part of the price of the land? And he lied. And then three hours later, Sapphira comes in, and the same thing happens. They ask her, did you, did, was this the price of the land? And she says, yes, and she dies. And wow, this is, this is really quite quite a story. Let's, let's get the actual uh, Bible down here, right? It says, 
A man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest of it and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and kept part of this money for yourself? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And then when Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. Wow, what a story. You know, I have been a Christ follower for over 30 years, and I honestly don't remember anyone ever teaching on this. I, I guess it's not a very popular topic, right? I mean, who wants to talk about Ananias and Sapphira? When you hear a story of conflict, it's important to stop and think about it. And so let's talk about this story. Let's, let's, let's think about Ananias and Sapphira. You know, so many people were doing this. They were selling their land and giving the money to the apostles. It was an exciting time. And Ananias and Sapphira, they were new believers. Everyone was a new believer, right? This is the new church. This just happened. These guys are not like 10 years in. They're all new believers. I got to think that Ananias and Sapphira were like probably regular people, like probably not much different than you and me. They saw what was going on. They wanted to be part of the action. They wanted to get in on giving, doing something big in the kingdom. Wow, I could sell that piece of land. Should we give them all the money? Well, what about the taxes? What about the closing costs? What about, oh my, right? All of that other stuff kind of had to have run through their heads. But then, you know, they just misrepresented it. I don't know if they got caught up in the moment, right? They could have just said, we held back the closing costs. You know, we, we, well, this is minus attorney fees. You know, they could have done that, but they didn't. And then they died. Wow. And I bet everyone was freaking out, right? That was intense. What is going on? Well, when you hear a story of conflict, the next thing to do is to take that story to God, to ascend, to, to bring him the story. And think about, well, is this like God's stuff here? Is this really how God operates? Is this, is this my Jesus? Is, is this Jesus? What is going on here? Deception, death, giving, prestige, misrepresentation, truthfulness, God. God wants the best for us. He wants us to operate in the best possible light for our own sake and for the sake of the body. His story is one of purity. His story is one in which there is no darkness. His story is one in which you can rely upon the full truth, right? You hear God's story, it's all true. It's not like partially it's true. It's not part of the money. Amen. It's all of the money. Hmm. And then I have to ask myself, well, what role do I have in this conflict? Oh, yeah, I know. This is a long time ago. 
or maybe not. Maybe, maybe I've contributed to this somehow. Maybe, maybe I've represented somehow that my resources could be used to increase my prestige in the kingdom. Maybe, maybe I, did I brag about tithing? Did I, did I make somebody else think that the only way to get God's approval was to give my stuff and then somehow take credit for it? Have I, have I got a role in this conflict? If I contributed to it somehow today, even though the story is about then, of course, I have to ask myself those questions. And then I want to I wanna connect. You know, I want to just wait a minute, God. Lord, hear my prayer. I'm sorry. I am sorry if I have contributed to, to what happened to them by somehow valuing stuff more than I valued you, valuing my, my perceived image in the kingdom more than I valued my relationships, valuing, valuing my own uh, credibility at, at the expense of your righteousness and your purity. Lord, forgive me. Help me to overcome those things and reconnect with you, Lord. And then there's another story. It's really a pretty crazy story. It's, it's Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer. Uh, now, we don't really have very many contemporary sorcerers, do we? we? We don't have a lot of images we could draw on. I found this guy. This is Alice Cooper. And back in the day, you know, this was the original kind of sorcerer in entertainment. You know, he was cutting off chickens' heads and screaming, and he was pretty crazy. That was one of his hit songs, No More Mr. Nice Guy, right? That's going to be our closing reprise today. No More Mr. Nice Guy. Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer is in the Bible. Simon the Sorcerer gets a big chunk of this story. It's amazing. All these people are coming to the Lord. And Simon, who has big magic, who has a big following, who has a name of his own, he wants to follow Christ. And he does. And the apostles let him follow along. And then he sees the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let's see what he does. Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, and he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands might receive the Holy Spirit. Oh, but Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could acquire the gift of God with money? You have no part, no share in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Whoa, another big scolding going down, another conflict in the church. Doesn't it? I don't know. Can you, can you read that and just, like, walk away? I, I can't. It's, it stirs me. I'm agitated. What in the world? What is going on here? Let's, let's consider this story. Again, Simon, the sorcerer, what? I mean, honestly, he's a businessman. I mean, you know anybody in entertainment like, um, you know, Penn and Teller, right? Or uh, who's, who's that magician out in uh, Las Vegas who's still got an act going? I, I forget his name. Uh, he actually made me disappear once, and I came back, but... But I, I, you know, I get these guys. They, 
and they, they actually do buy their tricks. Like, you would go to another magician and say, hey, how much do you want for that one? I'll, I'll, I'll pay for that secret, that's, that, that magic trick. I want to know how to do that. That's what they did. You know, they're assembling a crowd, but he's a sorcerer. And the disciples still said, okay, you're, you can be one of us. You can be a Christ follower. They said, okay. Wow. That's a complicated situation. Let's, let's ascend. Let's, let's, again, take that story to heaven, right? God, what's, what's your story about Simon? I think, I think I'm pretty sure that you save anybody who cries out to you to be saved. I think Simon is eligible, even though he's a sorcerer. He's eligible. That, that rings true. That's my Jesus. He said to the thief on the cross, right, who was actually another, a murderer, that, yeah, today you'll be with me in the kingdom. So, yeah, Simon, Simon can follow the Lord. And then, but like buying the gifts of the Spirit, buying the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's not cool. That, that clearly is like off. That's not my God. He'd, well, you know, there was that whole thing about animal sacrifices that see people seem to do something in order to earn God's favor, right? There was a, a kind of a tit for tat going on in the past. I don't know. It's complicated, isn't it? You can't just like reduce Simon the Sorcerer to one little transgression. He tried to buy the Holy Spirit pff, off, right? There's a lot more going on here. And then I got to reflect again. If I contributed to this somehow, I mean, I never met Simon. I've never met Alice Cooper either. But maybe I have some role in this somehow. I could have. I could have communicated somehow that you could, you could earn the gift of the Holy Spirit, that you could, you could leverage that, that you could, you know, be mighty in the kingdom of God. I, I've certainly attended church services where people sold that idea, you know, that you could leverage God for more blessings by, you know, giving more or by, you know, praying over a, a handkerchief or something. I've, I've seen that. I've been part of that. I guess Simon the Sorcerer and I are not so far apart. That kind of breaks my heart. That kind of crushes my own little sign of self-perception, right? What in the world? So let's connect with God on that. Let's, let's ask God, Father, forgive me for, for ever thinking I could manipulate you or manipulate the kingdom or, or purchase the Holy Spirit or, or leverage the gifts of God for my own advantage for thinking that this was some kind of thing that people could buy and sell, when we know it's a gift, it's a precious gift, and we want to walk in the gift. The next story was about serving the widows. Serving the widows. You know this one? Remember, the church is growing like crazy. I'm serious, like 10,000 people, like in one service. Boom! They all have this thing. What do they do? They take care of the widows. That's a really important 
important priority for the church. We're going to take care of widows. We're going to do that. And at this time, the disciples were increasing in number, and a complaint developed on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Oh my, another conflict in the church. Hey, I don't know what kind of churches you've been in, but I've been in churches where they fight about the color of the carpeting. They fought about whether or not they should hire the youth minister because he wasn't married or he should be married or don't hire him until he gets married. They fight about where the money goes and how it's spent. They fight about benevolence. Who, was, who are we going to take care of? This is real. These kinds of conflicts happen today. This is not an old only thing, right? This happens. It stirs me. I'm frustrated by this. Why can't we all just get along? Why can't we just love one another? Well, because it's complicated, right? It's complicated. Let's talk about that story some more, right? So we have these Hebrews. They're in Jerusalem. They're the locals. They're the ones in power. They're the ones that have established the church. And their widows have been coming over for dinner regular. And the church grows. And now all of these Greek, that's what Hellenist means. Those are the Greek widows. And the Greek widows are like, hey, what about us? And what do you think the Hebrews said? Oh, you're okay. We got you. They're like, what do you mean you got me? You don't got me. I don't feel the safety net. Our widows are going hungry. What do you mean? I, well, we could do a study, right? We'll see. We'll make, we'll make sure that it's equitable, okay? How do you respond? And again, these are just new believers, right? They're, they're not like really mature in the Lord. Remember, this is early. This is before Paul. At this point, Saul is still a persecutor of the church. We don't have the epistles, okay? They're operating on new ground. This is new territory for everybody, and it's just tough. And I suppose it's reasonable to assume that the people in the out group probably felt left out. You know, those Greeks, you know those Greeks, come on. You know about the Greeks? Remember Dennis told you last week they don't even use punctuation. No, really, no periods, no chapter headings, none of that stuff. It just all runs together. And they speak Greek. And the Hebrews, the Jerusalem Hebrews, they spoke Aramaic. And while maybe they were both kosher, you know, they ate different things, so they kind of smelled differently. They have a little bit of different culture. They're not really from around here. We don't have much to talk about. I can't even talk Greek. You can see how this pattern could emerge, right? How there would be conflict in the church as it grows. What about God? Where's God in this story? What do you think he feels about this or would say about all of this? He clearly loves everybody. He did kind of have a favorite tribe thing going for a while. But then, you know, he opened the door he grafted in the Gentiles. He was welcoming. He also wanted 
the Jews to take care of the immigrants, right? The stranger among you. We're supposed to care about the stranger among you. And he made provision for the widows way back when, right? He was like, no, no, you're going to take care of the widows, ancient Israel. No, no, you don't get off the hook on that. Don't uh, glean the whole fields. Remember Boaz, right? Got to take care of people. This is God's heart to take care of people. So, clearly, this is a problem that needs to be addressed. I wonder if I've had any part in this. Kind of this, you know, us versus them idea. Like, I was here first. I mean, I was. You know, well, I guess the Native American Indians were here first. But Well, I was here first. Well, not really. A lot of you were here before I was here. Um, yeah, but I, I know what I'm talking about sometimes. Right? Well, I know what's best. Actually, I have a master's degree in quantitative analysis of public policy. I know how to measure equity and distribution systems. Okay? We're actually trained, educated in that. So I know how to distribute those assets to the... That explains a lot. Yeah, that explains a lot, right? I can do this, right? Except when I can't, right? Except when it's too complicated. I don't really want to be a party to this kind of conflict. I, I want to be part of the solution. And I can, I can do an awful lot, actually, in, in my own skill, in my own flesh, in my own strength. But, boy, I'd really rather have God do it. He's so much better at it than I am. Right? He's so much better at it than I am. Let's connect. Father, again, we just ask you to forgive us for any part we've played in the us versus them scenario, in the, the entitled versus in, in, enabled uh, struggle, the, the, the difficulty over taking care of people and their resources and their expectations and their relationships. And we ask you to help us to do that better, whatever that might mean. If you kind of followed my pattern here, I'm... I'm teaching you this thing uh, where you, when you see conflict, you think about the story and, and uh, elaborate on the story. Use your imagination. Think about the people involved. Give them the benefit of the doubt, right? And then uh, ascend. Bring that to God. Bring that content to him. Compare it to the kingdom of God and what you know about how things are supposed to work in the kingdom. And then reflect on your role in that process, on your contribution to that conflict, and then connect, pray, and get right in that regard. This comes from a training I had by the Peacemaker Ministries out of Montana. And actually, in my software consultant capacity, this ended up being one of my customers. I remoted into their database, and you know what I found? Every single church you can think of in the history of the United States over the last 50 years that had a conflict, a split, a major crisis, they went to these people and said, help! And this is the company that took their ministry to go patch up splits in churches all over the United States. It's amazing. And then they branched off from there and they said, you know what, we have church splits, but we also have problems in relationships. Let's also do marriages Let's do marriage mediation. 
And then they want to train lawyers how to do peacekeeping. And then they went overseas and taught warring communities how to reconcile. Okay? Then they went corporate, and they actually worked for Hobby Lobby and taught Hobby Lobby how to do employee reconciliation programs. So when people got their nose out of joint with their boss, they could work it out in a godly way and not walk away with hurt feelings. What a great ministry. That's called Peacemaker's Ministry. If you want to go to the webpage, you fill out this little form right there on the screen, and they'll even mail you how they perceive your peacekeeping style to be. And if you know your peacekeeping style, then you, that can be helpful. Then you know, like, well, this is kind of how I do things. This can be very revealing. It can be very helpful. You can also do the Enneagram thing. Anybody heard of the Enneagram? So that's this numbering system they have for personality types. And there's a peacekeeper dude. There's a number nine. And if, if you know someone who's a nine, you're like, wow, I get a nine. I'm a, I'm a three. I can relate to a nine. I know where the nine is coming from. I'm a, I'm a six. I'm a loyalist. I can relate to a nine and a three. You can... You can kind of measure yourself against others on this anagram thing. Being a peacekeeper is an anagram. You can also take peace to the global level. This is the curve of conflict from the United States Institute of Peace. Yeah, you can go to college for peace. You can go and get a degree in peace. How about that? That's amazing. That's amazing. I, I want to do that. Now, for those really geeky among you, this is really fantastic. I would love to just dive into this. This is the multiple linear regression model for peace. Okay, there is a mathematical calculation on how to achieve peace. And it's real. It's real. There's all these little coefficients that contribute to responsibility, which contributes to purposefulness, which contributes to worthiness, which leads to peace. And if you don't have peace, you've got to get these other things lined up in order to make peace happen. It doesn't just happen. You have to do these other things. It's really a cool model. If you like math, I like math. I'm not any good at it, but I like it. I'm going to do another thing at the upper house. This is the Mathematics for Human Flourishing, an interdisciplinary conversation that's on March 16th at noon. It's a Zoom thing. Sign up at the upper house. I've gone to two programs this past month. This guy who does this is Francis Sue is a serious math man and a lover of Jesus. And he sees that math actually brings you closer to God. He sees math as a way to find love. He sees math as a way to be fulfilled in life. He sees math as a source of happiness and joy. Isn't that amazing? Don't you hate people like that? Right? Not so much, okay? So all of these things are kind of interesting, aren't they? that peace can be taught, that peace can be learned, that peace can be explained, that peace can even be calculated. What would this guy say? What would Simon the sorcerer say to all of that? <clears throat> I'm unimpressed. Right? This is the works of man. These are the works of the flesh. Show me, show me something. Show me something more significant than this. Well, in fact, God responds to all of these crises in a different way than all of my ways. What does he do? 
After Ananias and Sapphira die, Acts 5.11, and great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard about these things. You know, they didn't, they didn't talk bad about Ananias. They didn't, they didn't have conjecture that maybe Ananias and Sapphira both had heart, congestive heart failure incidents that happened to occur at the same time, you know, three hours apart, died on the same day, yeah, right. They didn't, they didn't look for alternative sources of information. They just were like, whoa, God. Whew. What happened here? They just walked in humility before the Lord. Let God be God. Let God do what God does. Not try to explain him away. Not try to fix it. But guarding their hearts reflecting on the story and their role in it, connecting with God and with each other, determined to not go there, not end up like them. That's how they responded. And after Simon, uh, Peter says, you know, uh, Acts 8.22, therefore repent of this wickedness of yours. Pray to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart will be forgiven you. And Simon says, Pray to the Lord for me, you, you pray for me, so that nothing of what you said will happen to me. Wow, he, he didn't fight back. He didn't get his back up. He didn't react angrily. And actually, Peter is being very generous. He's suggesting that you could re just repent, dude, just Get this right with God. Ask God to forgive you. That's all it takes, man. It took a great deal of humility for the apostles to not only accept Simon into their company, to let, them, let this crazy-looking guy hang out with him to really kind of compete for the thunder that was rightly due the Lord. And, but they offered him a way out, a way through, and he took it. And he took it. Um, this is Alice Cooper now. Now, I know you could look at him and say, well, he just doesn't have the makeup on. No, you're, you're, not, you're not really getting the image. Can, can you see the anger? Can you see the fear? Can you see the, the stress? Can you feel that? Can you feel this? This is the guy, because you don't know this, maybe, but Alice Cooper came to the Lord. Alice Cooper is a Christ follower. He's really a cool guy. He loves the Lord. He, he's got a radio program on Saturday nights. You can listen to him. He'll talk about it. He also talks about golf and music, but he is a Christ follower, and look at the peace in his eyes. Look at the stress that's been lifted from him. Look at the life he has now, Right? Because Peter offered him that way. And then in regard to the widows. The twelve summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, it's not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Come on. Select from among yourselves seven men of good reputation, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. And we'll devote ourselves to prayer and to the word. And this announcement found approval with the whole congregation. They chose Stephen, 
a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And they brought these men before the apostles, and after praying, laid their hands on them. You know, the apostles did not say, you know, this is our church, look, we started it, we'll decide how to do these things. Y'all just take a chill pill. That's not what they said. They said, you know, we're, not, we're in charge here, we got this. Well, they didn't say that. They said, you know what, we should probably stay in our lane. We should try to seek God, we should try to understand the word, we should pray. Let's let someone else figure this out. Who should we pick? Guess who they picked? Greeks. They, that's Greeks, that's, that's Stefano, yeah, Nico, Timo, Guido, Parmi, you know? They picked the Greek dudes. The Greek dudes from the Greek community are the ones that are going to fix the Greek problem and make them feel like they're represented, make them feel loved, make them feel that they're cared for. Wow, what a great idea, a great model. You don't have to be in control. We can let them empower them, lay hands on them, and send them on. You know, actually, um, Nicholas, the last guy, is, uh, is the only one that's not a Hebrew. He's a, he is a, um, an actual Gentile. The rest are all Hebrew Greeks. And that is uh, Stephen, who in the very next chapter, section, is the first martyr, who when he dies says, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they do, right? He's the first martyr, a Greek guy, not the Hebrew guy, not the local Jerusalem fella. Imagine the impact that had on the community. We don't know much about, about Prochorus or Nicor or Timon or Parmenaeus. Philip is not Philip from the disciples, but he is Philip from one of the 70. And he's also a very strong name. Lots of people were named Philip back in the day. Lots of the Roman empires named their sons Philip. It was a very popular name. But, but this is the Philip that goes off and preaches in Samaria and preaches to the eunuch, the eunuch who then comes to the Lord and gets baptized. Again, reaching beyond the social boundaries, reaching outside his own culture and expanding the kingdom of God. So these are really powerful people doing great works for the Lord in humility, agreeing to serve tables, agreeing to take care of the widows. Nice picture of what those guys might have looked like. Seven men full of repute, of, of good repute and full of the spirit and of wisdom. What am I trying to share with you here is that humility, humility breaks the back of conflict. Humility opens the door and brings in community. It's by saying, oh, gee, I'm sorry. Tell me more about your story. How do you see things? How does God see things? What's my role in this? Can I repent of that? How can I, how can I redeem our relationship? How can I redeem the situation? What, what, looks, what looks good to you, Chris? What does is, what is fixed look like to you in the Greek community rather than what I think fixed looks like, right? I know what broken looks like. 
But if you're, you're in conflict, you need to fix it. You need to know what fixed looks like. Humility. Humility is, is, is something that we put on. It is something that we acquire. It is also a gift from God. The Bible's full of it, full of, full of encouragements, right? Seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth who have practiced his ordinances. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Look for it. Ephesians 4.2, walk with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, even Simon the sorcerer. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility consider others more important than yourself, whether they're Hellenists or Hebrews. Colossians 3.12, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. James 1.21, therefore, in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. And finally, Peter 5.5, you younger men, likewise be subject to your elders. And all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God is opposed to the proud but he gives grace to the humble. Amen. Thankful for the church that it, it will endure, it will continue, it will prosper, it will grow. The church is not done in America. The church is not done in the world. The church is still God's plan A to offer hope to the world. It's a beautiful story. We continue to, to bring our stories before the throne of grace and ask God, how do we compare? How does our interpretation of life match up to your kingdom come? We reflect on how we might fix it. We might make it better. And we'll connect with one another, loving one another, listening to one another, repenting of our sins.